Where is Cody Haynes? Sweet Cody, this message is for you. From the minute that I came across the Justice for Cody Facebook page that your family has kept up for you for years, I have literally thought about you every day. Your big smile, your beautiful eyes. Cody, you were so strong and you didn't deserve any of the abuse that you lived through in your short 11 years on earth. I hope that my version of your story does your memory justice. I hope that I can help bring you home to your sisters, cousins, family, and friends who love you so, so much. The Haynes family moved from Colorado to Washington in 1999, settling into a relatively small three-bedroom second-floor apartment that sat above a couple of commercial buildings that were on the ground level. It was a living nightmare inside of the Haynes family apartment on the evening of September 11th, 2004, into the morning of September 12th. These days weren't too, too different from all of the others, except for the fact that September 12th would have a tragic end. Cody's sisters listened on as he was beaten savagely by his father's live-in girlfriend, punishment for not putting the dishes away and for pronouncing the word pasta wrong. These beatings were a regular occurrence, especially for Cody, who could rarely do anything right in the eyes of his father, Richard Haynes Sr., and his live-in girlfriend, Marla. CPS had been called many times in regard to the mistreatment of all of the Haynes children, and neighbors witnessed the abuse themselves. The neighbors would later say that the kids who ranged in age from 8 to 13 were often seen writing out their punishments outside in freezing temperatures, standing outside for hours without the proper cold weather clothing or even shoes on their feet. Their punishments were horrific. One that just stuck with me that I literally wish I could forget was how Rick and Marla would beat the crap out of the kids while they stood in buckets. They were forced to stand in those buckets, so if they had an accident during one of their beatings, they wouldn't make a mess on the floor. I just don't understand how people and parents could just be so evil towards their children. So, sick and tired of the hassle of dealing with CPS, Rick removed all of the Haynes children from public school and began teaching them at home himself, which was just the most awful thing that could have ever been allowed to happen. To me, I'm thinking if somebody sees this pattern of abuse or claims of abuse and these agencies are responding like CPS or local law enforcement, and then the parents go to the school, like the parents of these children go to the school to take the kids out of school, like shouldn't there be someone who's overseeing this, like seeing these patterns of abuse or allegations, you know, maybe even witnessing marks or injuries on these kids themselves and the parents are just literally allowed to just take them out of school to do god knows what with them like you would think that there would be an agency that would oversee this or the school would have the authority to do something and not give these types of parents or people the rights to remove children when there's all of these allegations of abuse it's just crazy to me richard lee haynes who went by cody was 11 years old this September 2004, and he was one of four of the Haynes children. He appeared to be a typical boy on the outside, regardless of all of the physical, emotional, and verbal abuse that he suffered by his father and his father's girlfriend, Marla. 
When Cody wasn't dreaming about becoming a police officer, you could find him playing with Legos and enjoying his time with his sisters. They said that he was the most creative and curious little boy. Rick, Cody's father, worked at M&D Motors as a tow truck driver, and he often worked odd hours, arriving home super late or super early in the morning, however you want to view it, leaving Marla with the kids a majority of the time, and this was also true on September 11th and 12th, 2004. So after sitting at the kitchen table for four hours as their punishment, Rick arrived home and moved Cody to his room where his beatings continued. Cody's sister, who had also been at the table for some sort of punishment, was told to go to her room, go to bed, and not come out. Can you imagine being this sister of Cody's or any of the other sisters witnessing this abuse towards Cody and just being told to like, shut the fuck up and go to your room, go to sleep and mind your business? I can't imagine what any of these kids went through. Cody's sisters wanted nothing more than to save their brother from these beatings, but they knew what that meant. Rick and Marla would turn on them and they would be the subject of the beatings. So can you imagine what a scary place these girls would have been in? Cody cried for Rick and Marla to stop, but the beatings continued and every one of Cody's pleas were ignored. Have you guys seen Cody's face on social media yet? If not, check it out. He's the cutest little boy with the brightest smile and the most beautiful eyes. Like, how can anyone hurt him? How can anyone hurt any child? But just looking at Cody, it's like, why would you want to do anything other than protect him? It's so heartbreaking. But since I can't protect him, I want to keep Cody's story alive, like I said. So the rustling in Cody's bedroom continued until the sisters heard a loud thump in the room. Cody went completely silent and the next thing that the sisters hear is Marla asking Rick in this like angry but concerned tone, what are we going to do now? So it's about 2 a.m. and Cody's dad ends up leaving the apartment. The sisters hear him say that he's going out to look for car parts at 2 a.m. Yeah, right. So the girls are super scared and they're so concerned for their only brother's safety They stay quiet in their room and they just wait. They wait for Cody to come out of the room so they can check on him and, you know, help him if he needs it. And today, more than 18 years later, they are still waiting to see Cody. Cody never came out of his room that day. Not that they ever seen and they were there the entire time. And their father? Well, he didn't return to the family apartment at 109 Main Street until 4 p.m. that day and he was alone. The girls were terrified and confused. Where was their only brother, Cody? Sometime around 6 p.m. that evening, Rick and Marla end up reporting Cody to the police as a runaway. Rick and Marla told authorities without any real concern that Cody didn't want to live there anymore. He didn't want to follow their rules and he went out to find somewhere else to call home, a place that would better suit him. They claimed that they thought that Cody had been in his room all day, but when they finally went to check on him after not seeing him for over 15 hours that afternoon, they pulled the covers back on his bed and realized that they were stuffed animals laying in his bed, strategically placed to look as if it was a person laying there. Cody was gone. When authorities asked Rick where he had been all day, he told them that he had driven 250 miles from Katitas, Washington to Toppenish, through Yakima and Nashes, ending up on Highway 395 and then Highway 90. He said that he was driving, he was disoriented, he was lost, he was confused, didn't know where he was at. 
He continued to drive through the early morning hours into the afternoon before he made his way back home. You know, that runaway story may have been believable. Cody lived with a father and his girlfriend that made Cody's days and his sisters a living hell. With the help of his girlfriend, no child inside that apartment was safe. At 11 years old, I might have tried to run away too. But the evidence in this case says everything to the contrary. While giving their initial interview to police, Rick and Marla let authorities know that they noticed a black and green duffel bag that was missing from Cody's room along with some of his clothes. And they said when they went outside that they noticed that his bike was missing too. Typical stuff for a preteen runaway, you know, pack your stuff, hop on your bike, head over to a friend's house, you know, maybe when all is well, you go back home. But again, this wasn't the case because all of those items were found outside near the family's shed. Search and rescue got nowhere in their efforts. They went door to door, they had dogs on the ground, helicopters combing from high up above, and nothing, not one clue. Less than seven days into Cody's, quote, runaway case, he was nowhere to be found, and the Katitas Washington police chief said that they were losing all hope that Cody was just at a friend's house. Early on, a tip came in that Cody was seen at a restaurant called Johnny's Serve You Later, which was not too far away from his house. But this sighting was never able to be confirmed, and it was the only one that called in. Within a week of Cody's mysterious disappearance, Rick and Marla ended up lawyering up, refusing to cooperate with the police and refusing to have any involvement with anything regarding Cody. And the authorities wanted to know why. Why did Rick and Marla feel the need to retain a lawyer to assist in finding Rick's runaway son? Getting a lawyer involved isn't going to help the chances of your child coming back home if they just simply ran away. When Rick and Marla were asked why they hired a lawyer instead of just working with police who were totally on their side trying to bring Cody home, they denied ever hiring the lawyer, but they did, and it was confirmed. So why did they lie? Rick and Marla wouldn't do any interviews or answer anyone's questions regarding the case, and they wouldn't let anyone speak to Cody's sisters either. One interview that they scheduled with the Seattle News, they ended up canceling last minute. And then there was one more that they agreed to, which you can find on YouTube, and I'll link it in the episode notes. In that one, they only agreed to do the interview if their faces were off camera. I'm pretty sure they just didn't want anybody seeing their facial expressions and reading straight through their lies. They fake cried through the whole interview, holding what I was led to believe was one of Cody's stuffed animals, but it was like, Whatever, it was all bullshit. It was all a show. You could totally tell. And I think that the only reason why they did that interview is because that was probably the only outlet that allowed them to do the interview without showing their faces. Vigils and fundraisers were held without Rick and Marla, and that may have been best because everybody that was there, everyone who gathered there for Cody, whether they knew him or if they were complete strangers, were there because they loved Cody and they cared for him and his safety. Rick and Marla didn't care. And if what you know up until this point about Rick and Marla doesn't scream that they're guilty, get this. They tried getting a restraining order against the police department who they felt were harassing them regarding Cody's case. It's like, no, they're asking you guys questions over and over and over again, A, because you're probably not answering them or you're totally ignoring them and they want to know they're trying to bring this little kid home. Asking these questions is not harassment, it's procedure, and it's 100% necessary. 
there are families out there with open cases that would kill to have law enforcement giving them this type of attention. So Cody's disappearance may not have been the only reason why Rick and Marla wanted to seek a restraining order against the police department, because this couple was also being looked into for fraud. So they had those pesky police on their back, not only for the disappearance of Cody, but for this fraud case too. We are dealing with two real winners here. And speaking of being a winner, Marla J. Harding, she was a former CPS employee who was fired from CPS for misconduct. And I think it was on the Justice for Cody Facebook page where it mentioned that casework pertaining to the complaints filed regarding the abuse and neglect of the Haynes kids went missing from inside the CPS building. How convenient is that? I am so curious to know if Marla was tied to those missing documents, but that I could not confirm. On September 21st, CPS actually did something in this case, but it was obviously not soon enough. They removed Cody's sisters from the house and placed them all into foster care due to the suspicion of abuse and neglect as they continued to search for Cody. I'm glad the girls were removed from the house, but unfortunately, CPS waiting to actually do something in this case was too late for Cody, where they could have potentially saved all of the Haynes children from the abuse that everyone was reporting. Cody's biological mother, Lisa, lived clear across the country in Florida, and she was quickly ruled out as a suspect or an aider in Cody's case. There was a lot of question about her, though, like, where was she? Who was she? Why didn't she have her kids with her? And the only explanation given is that she just lost custody of them. So regardless of what Rick and Marla were telling police, Cody was not with Lisa. And how was this little guy going to get all the way from Washington, 3,000 miles across the country to Florida by himself? He wasn't. He didn't. Rick and Marla, you guys are guilty. It was not until about a year later that police were able to finally speak with Cody's sisters. They held valuable information not only about the morning of September 12th, but what it was like to grow up in the Haynes household. One of Cody's sisters was able to give police the information that they needed about the last day Cody was seen alive so that they were able to obtain a search warrant of the family's apartment. They told authorities what they knew and what they witnessed while their sweet-cheeked, dimpled brother was savagely beaten and likely beaten to death. They told police that Cody was moved from the kitchen after sitting for four hours and put into his room where the beatings continued, how their father left the apartment for like 15 hours to look for car parts at 2 a.m., returning without Cody, and how Cody never came out of his room either. Three agencies were involved in the search of the Haynes family apartment, primarily the kitchen. But just like everything else in this case, it would prove to be too late. It had been months since Cody went missing, and the apartment rental had had all of its floors replaced. And the van that Rick had been driving at the time of Cody's disappearance was also sold shortly after Cody went missing. And by shortly after, I mean two days after Cody was seen alive, the van was sold. A little sus, you think? So after the initial search, a second amended warrant was issued for a computer that was discovered inside the apartment during that initial search. It also allowed authorities to seize Rick's Suburban and search Marla's car. 
Investigators will release a statement after the second search saying that they came across a significant discovery inside of the apartment, but this discovery was never not to this day elaborated on. That was it. They found something significant and that was it. It's like, thanks. Yeah, that's all we really wanted to know. Awesome. It's like so much time had gone by looking for this, quote, runaway. And since Cody was last seen that by the time the authorities really got into investigating, all of the evidence was gone. The owner of that second floor apartment that the Haynes were renting was interviewed as to the reasoning why the floors were replaced. And they had no idea. They had no idea that the floors were replaced. Rick and Marla had never mentioned anything. You want to know why? Because Rick and Marla did their very best to get away with this cold-blooded murder. And on Earth, Rick kind of did get away with it, at least for a while. That was until his doctor gave him a death sentence of his own. He would eventually, and not soon enough, die of tongue cancer in January of 2019, which I hope was as horrifying as it sounds in this case. I mean, tongue cancer, that's karma for not speaking the truth as of what happened to your only son, Rick. Marla is still alive. There is still a chance that she can be arrested and convicted of the torture that led to Cody's murder. Unfortunately, though, only time will tell. Marla is active on social media and Cody's family knows that she is active on the Justice for Cody Facebook page from a fake account. Marla has been figuratively on the run since all of this went down, having changed her name like six times since Cody's disappearance. Marla has been such a big part of this case. Her and Rick's actions prove that. I mean, the silence alone has proven it. She married Rick right away, like within days or like maybe a week after Cody's disappearance. And everyone knew right away they only got married that way if Rick was ever arrested, she would not have to testify because now she was his wife. So Rick and Marla have claimed that Cody ran away, right? Then why when Cody's sisters woke up that morning that he was supposedly missing, was there a sign on Cody's bedroom door saying stay away taped to a chair or a stool that was blocking Cody's bedroom door? Like, that doesn't make any sense at all. He was never just in his room, you know, hanging out or sleeping or resting or whatever. And living with these two evil-ass people, Rick and Marla, do you really think that they would have allowed Cody to spend 15 peaceful hours in his room all alone away from the abuse and harassment? There's no way. There's no way that Cody could have escaped Rick and Marla just by going to his room and shutting the door. So this version of the story is complete bullshit. Cody's family asks that you please never forget Cody. For 18 agonizing years, they have done everything within their power to find their little brother and cousin. Born on April 16, 1993 in Littleton, Colorado, Cody went missing in Katitas, Washington on September 12, 2004 at the age of 11. I hate saying that Cody is missing because I feel like it's in line with Rick and Marla's version of the story. Cody was murdered on September 12th, 2004. His body is missing and his body needs to be brought home to his family. The last time that Cody was seen, he stood at five feet tall and he was 90 pounds. He has brown hair and bright green eyes and a round birthmark on his right thigh. 
you know, in all the years that Cody was missing before Rick's death, Rick never once reached out to investigators to see how the investigation into Cody's whereabouts was coming along. Not once. He never spoke of his son after September 12th. Rick never questioned Cody's disappearance or showed any signs of concern or sadness. Nothing. He didn't care about Cody's whereabouts or his well-being. Cody's family today believes that there's a double jeopardy going on in Cody's case. Like, Rick couldn't have been arrested while he was alive based solely on the evidence that they had at the time. And in present day, Marla can't be arrested based on the abuse that they know about because if authorities get the break in the case that they've been waiting for, they won't be able to charge Marla with the abuse that eventually led up to Cody's murder. So I guess at this point, law enforcement just aren't confident that they can prove Marla's guilt beyond a reasonable doubt to a jury, and that is why they are waiting to find Cody's body before charges are brought forward. Cody's biological mother, Lisa, hired a private investigator years ago. They weren't able to gather much on Cody's disappearance or his whereabouts either. Cody's family claims that Lisa isn't much better than all of the key players in this case because they have firsthand knowledge of Lisa taking money that was raised to aid in Cody's search and spending it on things that were completely unrelated to Cody's case which is just the most awful thought ever. So many people have given their hard-earned money for this amazing cause and Lisa just goes and blows it on whatever. Which makes me go back to think about the private investigators she hired. Like, were they skilled enough to take on this case? How long did they actually work the case? Did she hire them for a short time just so she could say that she was doing everything she could to find Cody? I don't know. So all of this information about Lisa spending the money was posted on Cody's Facebook page. It was a conversation in a thread between the admin of the page and one of Lisa's daughters who was trying to defend Lisa. I spent a lot of time on that page. I was reading this part and I was just thinking like, Lisa's daughter is grown. Why is she defending Lisa when she can be helping look for her little brother? So to just be there like defending your mom who's accused of pissing this valuable money away, there's still a little boy who's your blood that needs to be found. Like, why are we here arguing about money that has already been spent? Lisa's daughter, like, why are you worried about it? If anything, just help find Cody. But then I understand if Cody's found, that can possibly incriminate your mom. So it's like everyone here is just out for themselves. But I do have to say that the army that is out there behind Cody waiting for him to come home doing everything they can to share his story and make sure that everybody hears it is much bigger and stronger than any key player or anyone else mentioned in this case. Cody's case is still open. It's cold, but it's open. Authorities ask that anybody with information on Cody's case, please call them. Their number is 509 968 0222. There's also an anonymous tip line that's available along with Cody's NamUs information, Nick McFile information, and it's all in the show notes wherever you're listening now. Just go back to this episode and everything is there. Cody's family wrote a message to anyone with information asking them to please submit their tips. Our hope is they will look into his beautiful eyes and see that he is a person, an 11-year-old boy. 
a boy who loved camping, fishing, bird watching, and making his own candy. We have many ways to send tips anonymously. It's just a recording so you don't have to speak to anyone in person. They just want their Cody home. They know that he's not coming home the way that they would want him to, but they want him home so he can have a proper burial. It's more than likely that Cody is no longer with us because of all that we know. And Cody's family says that he would never, ever hide out this long. There's a $5,000 reward being offered with anyone with information leading to Cody's whereabouts. And Cody's family knows that there is one or more people who know exactly where Cody is and what happened to him that night and they are still alive today. Cody's family confirmed this on the Facebook page without giving any names. So why, why, why hasn't that person come forward? Let today be the day that you call that anonymous tip line and give the authorities the information they need so they can go and retrieve Cody from wherever he's at. No questions asked. Everything's anonymous. The call line is a voicemail. You just have to leave a message or have someone leave the message for you. It's completely anonymous. No questions asked. Cody's family encourages Marla to come forward as well. Tell law enforcement what you know. Tell them that you were terrified of Rick, that Rick threatened to kill you if you ever said anything or turned him in. Marla, you hold the answers to this case 100%. Come forward. You wouldn't have changed your name or continued to come up with new aliases if you didn't have the information Cody's family needs. Period. End of story. Cody's family is desperately seeking the information that you know. Write it in a note. Drop it in a mailbox. Just tell everyone where Cody's at. The names that we know that Marla has gone by since Cody was last seen are Marla J. Gordo, Maria J. Harding, Marla J. Murray, Marla Murray, Maria J. Harden, Marla J. Harding, Marla Harding Haynes. Why have you changed your name so many times if you are innocent? Well, we know you're not 100% innocent, but anyways, just share what you know. You guys all, my beautiful listeners, can also help in seeking justice for Cody by sharing today's episode. The family has confirmed that there are people that are alive today that know exactly what happened to Cody that day and know where he is right now. That's a fact. So reshare my social posts, send the link to this episode to your true crime friends or anyone who you think would be interested. I'm going to link the GoFundMe in my social media. You guys can donate there and hop on Facebook and follow the Justice for Cody Haynes Facebook page. That page is active today. It's been active for years and years and years and there's so much information in there. In photos, that's where I saw the thread with Lisa's daughter and the admin going back and forth about Lisa pissing that money away. So there's really, there's a lot to read on there. I highly recommend just following that for any updates that the family gives. Thank you guys so much for listening today. And thank you guys so much for sharing today's episode. I will see you back here next Friday with a brand new episode. Bye guys.